Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi there, welcome back. This will be for John chapter 2. Now we're going to be getting into another miracle here that Jesus does. This is um, the first miracle that Jesus does in his ministry. We've talked about um, casting out an evil spirit, but that was out of order, at least uh, chronologically. Uh, So this in John chapter 2 is going to be the marriage uh, in Cana, where he turns water into wine. All right, verse 1. And on the third day of the week... There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Uh, Now, there's some significance also in this as we read this. Now, let me just read you a couple of little narratives here. John may have pointed to an ancient Jewish tradition, noticing that this is the third day of the week. So this is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of the week. Uh, John may have pointed to an ancient Jewish tradition, which is to perform weddings on Tuesday, the third day of the week. Sunday being the first, this tradition is based on Genesis 1, verses 9 to 13, where the word, where the word good is used twice for the third day of creation instead of once only for the other days. Accordingly, important matters like weddings were decided, settled, or celebrated on the third day of the week to call for a double blessing from God. Isn't that interesting? I know when we were in Israel uh, years ago that we went, we attended a wedding or noticed a wedding in the hotel we were staying at, and it was on Tuesday, and our tour guide explained why, and this is the reason. That was by Skinner and, and uh, Kelly in uh, verse by verse, or Ogden, I mean. All right, uh, just a little bit about this marriage where it says Mother of Jesus was there. Jesus himself was now more than 30 years of age and would probably have married, as was customary for Jewish men to do in their late teens. Had Jesus not been married, we would undoubtedly read it of accusation after accusation against him because marriage was number one of the commandments of God had given from the beginning to the meridian of time. As we have no record of of objections to his teaching, it would appear that he had already complied with this most important commandment. This point of view does not represent a doctrinal statement, but is simply an observation about ancient Jewish culture. Joseph Smith taught that the Savior obeyed all ordinances necessary for exaltation. Jesus kept every commandment of his father. He held the Melchizedek priesthood and observed every ordinance of the priesthood pertaining to mortality, including all ordinances of the temple. And that was by verse in verse by verse by uh, Ogden and Skinner. If there's there's more information about Jesus being married, if you'd like to hear some more about that, I have another podcast that explains all of that and to whom he may be married. Anyway, verse two. And Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, his mother said unto him, They have no wine. This was most likely unfermented wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman. What wilt thou have me do for thee? That will I do for mine hour is not yet come. Considering the customs of the day, it is a virtual certainty that one of Mary's children was being married. Now that was by Bruce R. McConkie. So we don't know who was married at this time, but uh, remember that Jesus has brothers and sisters. And so it could have been one of them that's being married here. Verse 5, His mother said unto, unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, see that ye do it. 
There were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. One firkin is about nine gallons, so this would have been between 18 and 27 gallons of water, which created between 100 to 150 gallons of wine. And that was out of the Institute Manual. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear unto him. When the governor of the feast had tasted the water which which was made wine, he knew not whence it was, but the servants knew or the servants who drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This miracle of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and the faith of his disciples was strengthened in him. This was most likely not his first miracle. The fact that Mary asks his assistance and infers that he perform a miracle may be evidence that he had performed other private miracles before this event. And that was by Brother McConkie again. Verse 12, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there many, not many days. Upon leaving Capernaum, Jesus will turn 30 and begin his public ministry. He may have gone to Capernaum to bid farewell to family and friends as he embarks on his ministry. Verse 13, this is where Jesus cleanses the temple. So ask yourself the question, why would Jesus do that? Was it because he was mad or, or what? And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge or whip of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto unto them who sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he was filled with reverent indignation because men were desecrating his father's house, selling doves and lambs to be offered as sacrifice. Money changers were there for the convenience of those who came from other countries so they could give in local currency their temple contributions. Seemingly, in their own eyes, they were justified, but they were doing these things in the house of God. We are told he overturned the money changers' tables and said to the sellers of doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Notice how how careful he is, though, in this. He doesn't um, he, this is not such an uncontrolled anger that he does this. He, as he's driving forth the uh, animals, the larger ones using a whip, uh, he, he stops and, and picks up the little cages that hold the birds and tells the sellers to take them out. So he doesn't overturn them because that would have probably killed the birds. And so he's very careful here to make sure that uh, none of the animals are actually harmed, but that they just are driven out. Verse 17, And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up, or consumed me. Then spake the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? By what authority do you do this? Those affected do not protest the cleansing, because they knew that Jesus was right. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The money changers must have done or said something threatening for Jesus to respond this way, but they did not understand his comment, which had to do with his body and not the temple. He is foreshadowing his death and time spent in the spirit world prior to his resurrection. 
Verse 20, Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore, remember this is all written after the fact, that John is writing his epistle, or his book, well after Jesus. Now, uh, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they remembering the scripture and the word which Jesus had said unto them. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover on the feast day, many believed on his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit or entrust himself unto them because he knew all things and needed not that any man should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. During his mortal life, our Lord went from grace to grace and from truth to truth. He progressed from intelligence to intelligence until finally, after the triumph of a glorious resurrection, he gained all power, all knowledge, and all truth. It is only in this exalted and resurrected state that he came to a knowledge of all things in the ultimate and unlimited sense. However, in the course of his mortal probation, he knew all things in the sense that having the constant companionship of that Spirit, the Holy Ghost, he does know all things. Jesus could and did receive revelation of all that was needed for his ministry from time to time. He knew all things in the sense that a knowledge of all things was constantly available to him. In this same sense, faithful saints are entitled to receive revelation from the Spirit, or in other words, to have the mind of Christ. Those who gain their exaltation will, like Christ, be glorified in truth and light and know all things in the ultimate and absolute sense, meaning there will be no truth that they do not know, no knowledge they have not mastered. Uh, So anyway, that's the end of John chapter 2, and we'll see you next time. Bye.